we were doing what we were doing. We weren't going to change and everyone told us what we had to do and how to change things. We were just like not sticking to our guns. And my food was my food, so I, I didn't want to change anything. And then after a year and a half, we got traction and it became a huge success, and it still is. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Sustainability has become one of the most pressing issues of our generation. Having concerns about our place and impact on the environment and how we operate is one thing, but implementing change is another discussion entirely. While many in the industry are only just now looking at new ways to change, ethically sourced food and sustainability practices is nothing new to WA chef Melissa Palinkas. She grew up in a household where nose-to-tail cooking and eating were everyday practices, and the influence of such has provided the backbone of everything that she does in her restaurants. Well, Melissa, you recently opened a a new venue called Ethos Deli and Dining Room. Can you tell us about that? Um, Yeah, so um, my food philosophy is around uh, no waste and sustainability. And although we practiced that at my other restaurant, Young George, I wanted to open something a little bit more dearer to my heart. My love for the New York Deli and the immigration from um, Eastern Europe, to um, the deli, I'm getting to the point right now, um, where the waste comes in. Um, And if you think back over many, many years of like Eastern Europe, nobody wasted a thing. Everything was used, offal, bones, all that. So I wanted to bring that into ethos um, and showcase like, you know, really secondary cuts and using all parts of vegetables and um, being able to... um, reduce my carbon footprint as a business by stamping out um, uh, single-use plastic and uh, we have a a waste system um, for our food. We upcycle, recycle all our glass bottles. So we we make our own sodas out of waste um, from both restaurants Um, and we basically make the glass, we, we buy the glass bottles, we fill the glass bottles up, carbonate our drinks and then when people buy them takeaway, we pour them into a biodegradable cup over ice and we retain the bottles. So we try and uh, minimise all our wastage from a um, commercial point of view. Has it been challenging putting that model into your restaurants? I know it's not something new to you, but are there challenges involved? Yes, um, especially um, the bin, like your bin recycling systems. It's like we're trying to reduce like packaging and stuff like that. So um, it was easy with the glass um, and we only have wine bottles and now we've got this new system where you can recycle and it's called um, Change for Difference and you can um, send all your cans to a recycling plant and they actually give you money back for them. They don't do bottles um, but, yeah, just uh, with the packaging and stuff, it's hard to work out, uh, decipher between what's recyclable and what's not recyclable. So we've had to do a lot of research into packaging that people have um, sent their product into us in, like milk, for instance. Um, We're using a biodegradable, um, it's like a pouch, milk pouch. Um, So we had to work, we had to do some research to see whether that was actually going to break down into the earth and what what bin it would go into. Um, But yeah, just really conscious of um, people bringing uh, fruit, veg in plastics. We try and get everything to come in crates so there's no plastic packaging around all our veg. Everything just comes in co-mingling with each other. 
And um, yeah, it's been it's been uh, very challenging to maintain that. But the food uh, industry has changed quite a lot over the last couple of decades, and a lot of produce has come in already cut, especially meat and um, chefs work differently. Have you had to retrain your team with this different approach and ethos towards sustainability? Um, no, because some of my head chef down at Ethos actually used to work for me for three and a half years, so he knows exactly what I'm like. We we work with like whole and half animals or break quarters, and um, I've pretty much trained them how to butcher those out. Um, and um, yeah, so and like I literally taught myself so um, how to butcher those. Like I knew basic skills, but yeah, we've over the years, 28 years of cooking, I've pretty much honed my skills on that so being able to teach other people to be able to do that as well has been good um but yeah it's a challenge to get other like the young kids across it but I think they they want they're hungry for it they want to learn that they don't want packaged meat and stuff anymore they want to learn the old school skills and that's how I can show them about sustainability and utilizing every single thing is when everything comes in whole and I can show them the step by step of taking them uh, taking it from a whole product to what we're going to break it all down to and every single part will get used. Do you have connections and a working relationship with different farmers, say, to get whole pigs in um, to, for your meat program? Can you tell us a bit about that? I Yes, I uh, absolutely do. Um, so um, I've just recently purchased a old breeding sow um, from Allington Farm in Harvey. Um, 189 kilo pig um, and she was monster like literally we could only process a, like one quarter of her at a time because um, uh, our bench was too small um, but we managed to um, yeah it was good because the, the the younger students that I have like my apprentices and stuff will come just came in just to see it break, get broken down uh, so one of my yeah most importantly is um, with this farm is trying to source um, meat that like has been looked after that has no longer she had no use anymore um, and then I can treat her in a way that's respectful and um, she will go on do you know what I mean and then the other farm that I get stuff from is a off the grid farm um, in um, yelling up called Aramea my good uh, chef mate Evan Hadia it's um he breeds uh, pigs out there, and so I do. Um, I, I was actually there last week doing a, uh, an event, and I always go visit the pigs. And I'm actually going to buy a couple of um, boars off him because I'd like to, I'd like to um, like like breed pigs, to be honest. And um, I, I would like to try doing that down the track. So I'm going to buy a boar, and I've got a sow, and I'm going to I've got a farm to put them on. I'm just going to have a little play around. A part of what you're doing. Uh with Ethos Deli is making your own charcuterie as well. Does it, does it take different pigs to create charcuterie? Yeah, um, they all have different type of muscle, um, like their muscles are all different. Um, they all have different fat marbling through them. Um, so, yeah, different breeds give different fat content. Um, the, obviously, my favourite pigs are Berkshire. Um, and I also like the, the Duroc um, cross Wesselback, Wesselback is it, I think? Um, those two pigs are my favourite pigs to work with just simply for the marbling and for the fat content because you need good fat for charcuterie. Can you take us through uh, what it takes to make good charcuterie and are there, are there challenges involved? 
Yeah, so um, it depends on what you're making, I guess. Like we we do fermented stuff as well as um, uh, air dried air dried things. We do a lot of whole um, mussels in the um, the chambers downstairs in my cellar. So I mean, the best way to do like my the challenges are is um, keeping the right humidity and um, and degrees and um, aging meat uh, in the correct fashion. But you've got to start with really good product, um, good product, and um, I guess um, knowing where the the animal came from and what its feed feedlot was, um, it plays a really important part. And I guess um, technique is another thing. Technique's a, a huge thing that goes into to making good charcuterie. What's your favourite uh, charcuterie that you're making at the moment? Um, oh well, I've just <laughs> we just pulled off um, from that Ellington Park farm pig. We just made this beautiful lonza out of the loins because obviously a, a giant sow is going to have like fillet the size of a beef fillet, not the size of the little fillets that you see in the supermarket. Um, yeah, so this Lonza came off the other day and it's just beautiful. Um, what we're making right now, we're making a lot of coppers and parma hams at the moment, just literally for our continental roll um, down at Young jo- uh, sorry, at Ethos. Um, and um, what else? We're making sausages. Uh, we make a lot of sausage. A lot of, we make Coney Island frankfurters uh, weekly. Uh, smoke Kranskis, yeah, quite a lot of stuff. When did you first get an interest in food? Um, I would say at a very, very young age. When I was um, when I was a kid, my mum used to be a little bit of a mad scientist in the kitchen. She's still very much a foodie, but she used to make ginger beer and um, she used to make pate and we used to do – she grew up on a farm, so she always – ate those things as a child and so as a child growing up I also grew up on on those sort of things and they made everything from scratch so I guess that's ingrained me also my grandmother's German and I remember as a kid she put me I must be about five putting me on a little step while she was baking she used to make these things called pig's ears they're very much like a palmier um, a French palmier it looks like a little pig's ear with sugar coated pastry um, and I remember making that with her um, yeah and I was I think the first thing I did was try and boil eggs and give, so make uh, breakfast in bed for my mum and dad and the eggs were raw. Um, but they laughed. That was all right. They laughed. They, they understood at six years old I was never going to master boiling an egg. <laughs> <laughs> How did, what led you to a career in the industry? Can you tell us about those early days? And do you remember your first day? I do. I do remember my first day. But I'll tell you a quick story about how I actually got into it was I was actually – I was destined to study art and I went to study art when I finished school. So I finished school year 11 and got accepted into TAFE and I started doing that. I studied art for three years. Um, after my second year, I needed a job and a friend of mine worked in a, in a pub um, called the, or a brasserie called Brass Monkey and um, they said, did I want to be a kitchen hand and I was like well I've never done it before but I love cooking food and I always always cook the meals at home when my mum was working so I thought I'd give it a crack so I did and um, my first day was very nerve-wracking but I tell you what it was just awesome the 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 kitchen banter the I don't know the culture of the kitchen just made me fall in love with it and before I knew it I was cooking (laughs) so um yeah, I quit art to cook and um, 
Yeah. Well, after that sort of time, you um, you ventured abroad and you've worked in the UK and Ireland. What, what was it like working overseas? Well, that was pretty much what ignited my passion. So before I went overseas, I actually um, cooked during the day um, and I was a DJ for Connections Nightclub for about seven years, all over Perth actually. Um, so my, my passion was music and art and I fell into cooking and so I was cooking and I love cooking but I still love music. So I was a bit, I was in my 20s, so I was a bit, didn't really know which way I was going to go but it wasn't until um, I went to the UK where I realised that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I was 26 and I was like, this is, to like 27, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to cook. I've become so passionate. I just saw a different side to what our, what it was like in the 90s was like, we had a very strong, Perth had a very strong cafe culture, coffee and um um, it was all very structured around cafe cooking. Um, and then I got to London and it was like the exposure to different ingredients and different produce. It was just like mega. And my best friend was working over there. He was working with um, Jamie Oliver at the time actually at Monty's in Sloan Square. So um, I was exposed to so many cool ingredients, techniques, things that I'd never seen before and that's when it just exploded for me personally. Are there any dishes from... The, that time in London that you uh, recall fondly or, or had trouble mastering? Um, no, but I've, that's how I learned how to make pork riette. And, um, yeah, because I worked with a couple of French chefs, so um, I learned how to make pork riette. Um, I remember um, doing a pasta dish, um, learning how to make pasta from scratch, which I'd never done before, and, and that was just amazing, um, learning how to make pasta. Um, and I really love the Italian cuisine. There's a lot of Italian influence in what I was doing. Um, so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it a lot. You ended up returning to Australia in your first head chef role. Uh, what, what was it like uh, running a kitchen for the first time? I came back to a brew pub in the Swan Valley and that was my real first um, head chef job. Um, and what I'd learnt from over in London and Dublin was um, like you go to their pubs and you go to their um, their brasseries and it's like very, like it's not like slap dates, it's like high-end food but put out in a very casual environment. So I wanted to do that and I've stayed there for four years. But after what you just said about the cabin, the reason why I left MASH was because I wanted to go into a finer setting. So I always strive to go into a finer setting and to be to strive to be really good at my job um, and I wanted to hone my skills in something smaller so that's when I joined the cabin and um, I was able to, I treated it like I was um, kind of like um, feeding people at my own dining room in my own home so um, the, that experience was was great because the, the place was um, sold and bought by someone else um, and so I got a chance to build it from scratch, and it was yeah, it was amazing. Like we we built it into something really really cool. You mentioned that uh, you treated it like you were welcoming people into your own home. Can you give us an idea of the sort of food that you were cooking there? Yeah, so we just did. It was just all share plates, but lots of um, like very casual but sophisticated like terrines, and obviously the charcuterie started coming in there. Um, and then just nice plates of vegetables and just anything that was seasonal. We had a little garden downstairs that I, I put in and um, 
we'd have like the cabin garden salad and it would just be anything that we took out of the garden at the time. Um, and then cuts of meat, secondary cuts, because I only cook with secondary cuts, so there's never anything primal. Um, yeah, so it was it was just a nice casual environment that I worked in and I worked in the tiniest, tiniest kitchen. But people used to say, how the hell do you make all this food taste so good out of that tiny little kitchen? I said, it's because I'm passionate about what I do. And when you're passionate about what you do, you'll just do anything to make it good, you know? You made a real name for yourself with young George. Can you tell us how that all started? It's been quite a journey. Um, yeah, it's been a massive journey. So um, I was at the cabinet at the time and I was I was looking to move, um, but I wanted to do my own thing. And myself and my partner, Susan, we had a pop-up called Alphabet Soup and we used to do that on our days off. We used to pop up in restaurants uh, in bars that didn't serve food or cafes that closed at night time. So we did that um, for about a year and a half. And by this stage, I was a little bit burnt out. I was like, I really want to open my own place. And then Rob Broadfield, the food editor for the West Australian, rang me and said, do you want to open, do you want to own your own restaurant? And I was like, are you kidding me? And he was like, no, I've got an opportunity for you. He goes, I'm a partner in a restaurant and would you like to come and be the chef and become a shareholder? And I was like, uh yeah so I traveled out so I was living north of the river this place is in East Fremantle which is a good 45 50 minute drive so it was a lot for me to take on Susan and I to think about changing our entire life um so we came over I decided to go in and I've I was in and then um yeah um after a certain amount of time we had bought out partners and myself and Susan just have it now and, um, yeah, it's been a six-and-a-half-year journey and we've turned it from something that was not – well, people didn't really like – well, there was no there was no kind of, like, um, community – people in the community didn't really um, support it. And then when they could see after about a year and a half that we were here to stay and we were doing what we were doing, we weren't going to change and everyone told us what we had to do and how to change things. We were just, like, not sticking to our guns. And my food was my food, so I, I didn't want to change anything. And then after a year and a half, we got traction and it became a huge success, and it still is. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a very huge successful uh, business, which is, is, is good in these times, to be honest. But I really, um, I really believe that if we didn't have the community and the support of the locals, um, yeah, it, it wouldn't be the same business. Being in it, we were in a back street and... Um, we have people travelling to us, but the support of our community um, is huge and we, we, we really, really um, respect them and say thanks to, to keeping us alive, even through COVID as well. You just mentioned, uh, explained your cuisine as my food is my food. Could, could you give us an idea with some dishes mm. on, on what that actually means? What, what, what is your food? Um, well, up here, up at, uh, well, I'm actually sitting in the um, front dining room at Young George at the moment. Um, so I work very, very seasonally. So it might mean that some one one product will come to me and it only last a month. So that product will go on the menu and it will just be pairing nice flavours together with other seasonal um, other seasonal flavourings. Um, we don't really. I don't really have a style as per se, but we've got a nice big wood oven, so we do a lot of um, wood oven um, food, food for the wood oven. I've got a big charcoal hibachi, which we do a lot of uh, cold grilled uh, lamb necks and 
um, I use secondary cuts a lot. So I've got this um, this big Wagyu um, chuck steak. It's like a big thick 600 gram chuck steak, which we um, whack on the on the char charcoal as well. Um, and then we just pair that with um, we make a steak sauce, um, our own steak sauce. So we just got like this Wagyu chakai steak with steak sauce and then we've got our lamb neck that's got a tamarind glaze and some kimchi um so very just stripped down just i like to like it stripped down not too complicated you mentioned a couple of times that you really like to stick to secondary cuts could you tell us why that is and and how to get the best out of the secondary cuts i feel that the secondary cuts have way more flavor um I do love I do love a good ribeye um, steak, but I've found that with the with the neck, the chuck, um, I can get a better flavour out of using the chuck, which is the neck cut, and um, so I can treat it the same way as a ribeye and get exactly, if not more, umami out of it if I age it. So we age them in beef fat and. Um, it just brings out heaps of flavour. Also, the oyster blade is another one of my fan, another one, one of the things that I love. Um, so we buy in the whole oyster blades and we age them for 45 days on the bone, and then we cut them and we have like a big oyster blade chop. Um, and I find that the flavour that comes off these cuts are more got more depth of flavour, more depth and a lot more versatile. Like you can only cook one of those steaks, like you know, like a prime, like a of uh, sirloin or something like that but you can get um, um, lesser known cuts that are just as good and turn them into primal looking cuts um, we also use the um, what's we call it the Girello, um where we do like a corned beef um, on the Girello, and then we turn it into a katsu so we do a corned beef katsu out of the Girello, but the flavour of it is just delicious yeah you mentioned that you get whole uh, pigs in for charcuterie and um, and also for cooking. What what do you do with the different cuts in regards that don't make it into charcuterie? Can you tell us about some dishes that you do? Yeah, that? so we do a um, pressed we do a pressed leg um, where we do a pressed leg and a pressed shoulder actually, where we confit it and then um, we bone the leg out. The rump, the pork rump, we we've developed a cut. Uh, like we've developed a um, two things from the pork rump, and that is uh, one thing a piece of charcuterie called rumpetto, and the other thing is just the pork rump, which we've sous vide and then we crackle up, roast off. But with the legs mm, and the shoulders, wow. we take out the collar, and then we confit them and press them, and leave the skin on, and we blowtorch the skin. We portion it, heat it back up on the grill, get it crispy, blowtorch the skin. Um, at the moment, I think we've got pineapple and gochujang with one of them. Um, and the rump we haven't done for a while, but usually I just do um, like a chimichurri take on a chimichurri with some leaves that we've that have come off um, one of the vegetables that we've got from one of the farms. So we'll just like chop up whatever leaves have come off and add some chili and some garlic and a bit of red wine vinegar and make it into a vegetable top chimichurri. Treat it like a steak. Wow. Yeah. You you like to um, be very influential on the, the young staff that you have in your businesses, but who made a big influence on you during um, the early days of your career? David Chang. Wow. <laughs> David Chang. He's my he's my food hero. Uh, Ludo Lefebvre. Um, 
he is amazing as well. He inspired me to do the pop-up uh, alphabet soup. When I saw his show, Ludo Bites, and he, uh, he was going around the whole of America, just going to people all over America, just going to, like, kitchens that are closed down and just popping up. Um, I thought that was really inspiring. And David Chang is... Um, I just love the way he experiments, how he just creates his own flavour profiles. Um, and I've actually been to every Momofuku in the world except for the one in Canada. Wow. Um, I travelled to New York. I went to New York and uh, Washington last year. I got to go to Washington to go to CCDC last year, which closed down now. But, yeah, I've been to every one. He's got a new one called Wayo. Um, I think last year in October when I went to New York, I, I literally went there three times in two weeks because it was that good. You've been a big part of the changing culinary landscape of WA. How have you seen it change in the last decade or so? I think um, what's happened is there's been a spotlight on produce and I don't think there's always been a spotlight on produce. And I guess um, when you – the produce coming through and producers are producing such amazing quality – I feel like that's played a part in the the changing landscape of how chefs uh, see food, how they cook food, how they um, how they put flavours together. Um, I guess for me, when I I, I, I work backwards, I, I have to have a I get presented with a pro- product and then I work out what I'm going to do with it. Um, <clears throat> and over the over the last decade, I think there's been yeah the the produce the produce is just um, been ramped up like. WA has been seen as somewhere that has really amazing produce. You mentioned that you like to be presented with a, a product and work backwards. And earlier on, you also mentioned that you want to grow your own pigs at some stage. Um, what, mm-hmm. what, what's your thoughts about growing animals and, and husbandry? What, what's going to be your approach when you get to that time? Well, I'm in workings with a small farm um, out in the Swan Valley at the moment um, and they've got the same kind of ethos as I do uh, around sustainability and stuff. I think um, as long as the pigs live a life as natural as possible and we're creating um, uh, this area, this uh, I think it's three-acre area for them to roam along a creek bed so they're not... Um, they're not... Um, uh, they're doing that what they do naturally, so I want them to. I want to, the animals to have like the best possible life, and um, I think that's that's the most important thing. You've uh, recently opened uh, the new restaurant, and obviously, Young George has been firing along for six years. Um, what do you love about what you do? The creativity. I think everyone asks me that question, but being creative is. Um, it's always been in my blood. Like I said, from the beginning, I, I was always going to study art and then I went to music and cooking and I think the creativity around food is just limitless and uh, every I'm very lucky, very, very lucky and very blessed the fact that I got gifted um, a passion that I, I can go to work and enjoy my myself every day at work. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's it's such a good feeling to know that I come to work every day and I'm going to love it. Sustainability and um, ethical practices are, are really at the core of what you do. Where did that all start for you? 
it's been it's been a part of my life for a long time um and my partner is very passionate about um sustainability and the it's the future it's for the future um we can see what's happening to the land and the planets uh, the planet um through weather and um like uh, changing the environment and stuff like that um and uh, my I grew up with my mum not wasting a thing. Like my grandmother knew you to waste anything. They taught us not to waste anything. Um, and it's very important to me that I can pass that on to the students that I work with, the apprentices that I've got in my kitchen, even the senior chefs that don't understand that come into my kitchen who go, ah, right, okay, that's why we do this. Um, it's really important that um, we show the future generations not to be wasteful, to reduce our carbon footprint, um, realise that plastic in the sea is going to kill our animals and um, as kill our wildlife, you know what I mean? You uh, get whole uh, pigs in and know how to butcher them and make your own charcuterie. Is, is, there, a, is there a particular cut that is your favourite and, and a way that you love to cook it? Hmm, that's tough because I love all of it. Um, I like the shoulder. I like the shoulder because you can break that shoulder down into two, two muscles. Um, and I also love bacon, 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 bacon. Come on, who doesn't love bacon? So I like the bacon middles, like so the bacon barrel, because I can make bacon, and I can make um, lots of different types. So some we do um, smoked, some we do green. Um, so we, I do Irish green bacon with the middles as well, um, where we don't actually steam the bacon out. We just cure it and smoke it. I don't know if you've ever had Irish bacon before. My, my partner's Irish. So whenever we go back to Ireland, we always eat the green bacon. It's just amazing. So I do that as well. So they're, they're the, yeah, I'd say the neck, um, sorry, the, the shoulder because it's got the copper in it and you can use the, um, the rest of it to make a picnic ham. I love love the different cuts of that and the ba- and the middle to make bacon and the lonza, stuff like that. Well, you have Young George and, and Ethos as well. What can we expect in the next couple of years from you? I hope to, I hope to get this, um, this pig um, breeding program up and running in the Swan Valley. And I also would like to branch with ethos um, just the deli, not the dining rooms, The um, just the deli aspect of it and bringing that north of the river possibly. Um, but it's early days. We've only been open for 11 weeks. So, um, yeah, not too much plans to, to move, any, do anything drastic yet. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say, I'd say um, once um, Australia's cleared of... Um, of COVID and, and, and things are improving, then I probably will um, think about moving ethos north of the river and fran- maybe, you know, creating a franchise. Well, I'm sure the people that live north of the river would love that. Um, Melissa, we've loved having you on The Crackling. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you so much. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.